the July 9, 2018 edition of the Fantasy Football Report, a Rotoviz radio news show covering the serious and mocking the ridiculous NFL news of the last week, brought to you by the FFPC. I'm Blair Andrews. You can follow me on Twitter at AmITheRealBlair. Uh, Hassan is on vacation this week, but it's all good because we've got a great guest joining us today. With me this week is Dave Cabin. Dave is the senior fantasy analyst here at Rotoviz and the creator of the FF Draft Prep Excel Tools. Uh, he's the co-host of the flagship pod on Rotoviz Radio. You can follow him on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF. Dave, thanks for joining me. How's it going? Oh, good. Thanks. Glad to be here. Longtime listener of the Rotoviz Report. I have not been on before, so I've been looking forward uh, greatly to playing uh, No Shit Shit No. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Oh, absolutely. We're excited to have you on. Uh, I want to ask you a bit before we get started about the the FF Draft Prep tools. I uh, you know this is a new suite of tools we've brought over to Rotoviz. It's something you've been doing for several years now, I think. Can you maybe say a little bit more about that? Yeah. So basically what we've done is on a site that I had been, had started up maybe four or five years ago, I actually forget at this point, um, we're bringing over these tools that I had at this, at this site that I had set up. And these are all of the things that I had put together over a number of years the things that helped me get ready for the fantasy football season. So these are basically things that I first built out of necessity. Nowadays, there's a lot more availability of different resources out for you, uh, you know, at various sites. But so it started off with me just collecting as many stats as I could find and trying to put them into a way that would help me organize my preseason preparation. So we have the stat explorer where you can go in. I know Hassan, actually, I would have liked to have talked to him about it. So I'm disappointed he's not here. because I know he's been using it a lot and just really likes having all of the information that he wants to find on the player in one place. And then we have the draft tool that lets you mock draft, which, you know, is literally thousands of hours invested into something that not only helps guide you through a draft in a manner that makes sense, but also lets you practice against the computer. So that was an amazing amount of work over probably five or six years now, but it's something that is just so useful in getting you ready for your drafts. The projection machine, we moved over to Excel this year, uh, which is really cool. I like it because at work you can be doing your projections, even if uh, Rotoviz or anything else that you might be using is blocked, you can pull it up on Excel at work, which I know Hassan has been doing and is enjoying. And then in season, we're going to have one tool that basically brings brings together every piece of information that I look at on a week-to-week basis to help me make start, uh, sit decisions, get my lineups ready, make other managerial moves. Awesome. That all sounds great. And it's uh, available only with a Rotoviz subscription. Is that right? Uh, well, so you can go to ffdraftprep.com, and there's ways that you can purchase them there, uh, purchase them at the site. But also, if you're a season-long Rotoviz subscriber, it's all uh, available to you, everything in the package. So you can go to ffdraftprep.com and uh, purchase them there. Or if you're a Rotoviz subscriber, you will have all of those tools right in on the site under the uh, FF Draft Prep uh, tab up at the top of the menu. Very cool. Yeah, you definitely want to be sure to check all that out. Uh, Dave is an Excel whiz, uh, so make sure to uh, you know avail yourself of those tools because they're awesome. Yes, and actually Blair was I- I- instrumental in finding some of the, the little tiny details that I missed, so I have to thank you for that. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. The first item we want to discuss is uh, probably the biggest news item that's come up over the last week. The NFL has suspended Aaron Jones two games for violating the league's substance abuse policy. 
Uh, this is following Jones pleading no contest to a marijuana-related traffic charge in March, and it's actually the second time that he's had sort of legal issues like this after being arrested on suspicion of DWI while at UTEP. So, uh, Dave, how do you think this news will affect the other Green Bay running backs' redraft value, and what do you think it does to Jones in dynasty formats? Well, I think that, uh, for starters, if you look at the other backs on Green Bay, they're clearly going to be helped out by this, whether or not they should be. The idea that you're going to miss those first two games with Jones and Williams and Montgomery will get the first crack at things is clearly going to raise up their stock in redraft, which I actually like. I think that last year there was a tremendous difference uh, in performance between Jones and the other backs on the team when they were given chances, and we saw all three of them do pretty well, but there was a difference between Jones when he had his crack at it. So I think that he's going to be up the first two games. Williams is probably going to get the first shot at it, but at some point when Jones gets back, he's going to get into the mix and will prove why he is the best of the three backs and has a profile that allows him to be useful to the team in all situations. So from a dynasty perspective, I think it actually might give a little bit of hit to Jones' value in the short term, but it presents a good buying opportunity because if you do believe that he is the best back of the three, and this is something that might depress his value a little bit before he gets back in, and we know if a running back can insert himself into and get the majority of that offense, he's going to be a great player to have. So I think that overall for Jones, uh, Jones' owners and those looking to acquire him, this is a good thing. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, um, you know, when Jones played last year, he looked really good, like you said. And then after he got injured and they went to Williams, he also was fine. Once Jones was healthy, it was like they didn't want to go back to him. So uh, from that perspective, this kind of has me worried that, uh, you know, the Packers will get what they need from Williams and uh, Jones will kind of, he'll either be slowly brought back in or he'll be kind of already starting from behind. Um, you know, he's someone that I was hoping would win the starting job this season. So this is kind of, kind of puts him at a disadvantage right out of the gate. Uh, I guess that is my main concern. And then the other thing is, uh, Charlie Kleinhexel has shown that these sorts of suspensions tend to sort of, I don't want to say recur, but it's kind of like, uh, players who tend to deal with these issues have them, you know, seem to have them kind of ongoing. So, there's sort of concerns from on both levels from my the way I'm looking at it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what you think of that. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely think there's something to that. Um, and Charlie has demonstrated that, it, you know, if you have a player that has some type of violation, the propensity for that player to have another is much higher than you know, a player that doesn't have any infractions or whatever you want to call them popping up at another point in their career. Uh, but, I, I mean, you did just to kind of take back to talking about their on-field performance. Normally, I don't look at yards per carry, but in the case of the, of the Packers last year, Jones averaged five and a half yards per carry to Williams' 3.6. Now, there's enough carries in that sample to kind of draw some conclusions. Uh, so, you know, though there might be concerns, like, um, you know, even if you're worried about, uh, you know, future transgressions, let's call them. I do think there's enough of a talent disparity that I'm able to, to get over over. Now, granted, that was one season, but if you go back and you look at their college profile, uh, Jones was so involved in his uh, collegiate uh, passing game. I think he was around like a uh, like running back target share of like 90%. 
And uh, just the profiles just don't really match up for me. I think he's the far superior player. So, you know, when I consider all of the potential risks with Jones, I still think I'd be buying him. Yeah, I agree with you on on him probably being the more talented player. Um, You know, just looking at uh, their ADPs, I mean, it probably hasn't been enough time for really any major shifts to happen and be that noticeable. But um, Ty Montgomery has been pretty much by far the cheapest of these backs. Is he... Any more interesting to you after this news? Um, you know, I don't think for me it really changes my perspective on, on Montgomery. I think that if he's going to be a player that you're going to want on your team this year, it's going to have to come from him getting back in and more involved as a receiver. Just because now the team has those two backs that have both shown that they can play the position, they can perform for the team. And I don't think that though Montgomery has performed well, he hasn't really shown – anything that these two players can't provide. And if the team is going to need another player to contribute at wide receiver, maybe it could be Montgomery, although I think they have a lot of talent there as well. So I think the odds of Montgomery finding his niche this year are lower. Uh, So my perspective on him hasn't really changed. I mean, if I'm at the very end of a draft and he's around, sure, I'll take a dart. But he's not one of those players where I think – absent of a major injury to one of their receivers being Cobb or Adams, I don't think I'm going to be really reassessing my outlook on him for, for 2018. Could things break his way? Sure. But I think if you look at the overwhelming uh, range of outcomes, there's very few for him that make him a week-to-week startable player. And I don't think the upside is really there like it might be with some other players that you would be taking later in the draft. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's move on to the second news item, another uh, suspended running back. The Colts' Robert Turbin has been suspended four <laughs> games for violating the league's policy on PEDs. Uh, it's unclear yep. what role Turbin was going to have anyway or will have in the Colts' offense, but I wonder whether this news changes anything about how you were valuing the Colts' backfield at all. No, it doesn't. Um, Turbin, I don't think I was really expecting to factor into this offense. I mean, if you look at his career – He's currently 29. He's only had one real blip, which came in 2016. He had a stretch where he put together six touchdowns and for a couple of weeks became useful. But I am not overly enthused about this Colts offense. Uh, There's offensive line issues. I know they've been trying to address them. Uh, They took, I forget his name, but a high-profile guard in the draft, and they're trying to shore things up there. But their quarterbacks in the last five seasons have taken more hits than any other team. There's a lot of issues. Uh, even if Luck is able to come back in and start performing like Andrew Luck has done in the past, I think there's a bit of a lead-up to that. So overall, I'm looking at this offense, and I'm not expecting too much out of any of the backs. And at 29, I don't think it was going to be Turbin. So you're left really with Mack and Hines. I know some people have talking about have been talking about Wilkins. I look at his collegiate profile. I don't think he did anything playing at Fordham. Or, uh, no, um, actually, no, that wasn't... Um, where did Wilkins play? Do you know? Uh, I forget off the top of my head. It's not Fordham, but... <laughs> All right. It's not Fordham. I'm thinking of Chase Edmonds. Then. Yeah. But it was another small... You know, it was a smaller, less-known school, and he didn't do enough to really make me, uh, you know, think about him the way that some people are. I think people are hoping that one of these backs can emerge, but if somebody does, it's going to be Mack or Hines. I give the advantage to Hines because I think that this team is going to need a playmaker other than T.Y. Hilton. We know Hines has that 4-3-8 speed, tremendous uh, receiver in college, and I think he can bring a dimension that maybe Max can't. 
And it's going to have to be through the passing game because I don't think that this offense can support a between-the-tackles kind of rusher. Mack was all right last year, but didn't do much to excite me. And I'm, I know that this is a take that is really going to divide people. Uh, Hassan really likes Marlon Mack. I'm more on the hind side. Where do you stand? Uh, yeah, I'm on the hind side as well. He's probably my highest-owned player in, in uh, best ball leagues at the moment. Um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, you know, I agree with you completely on pretty, on Robert Turbin. I think, uh, this question is kind of a way to talk about this backfield, which has a lot of uncertainties, which, uh, you know, can kind of open up some value in drafts. Like if you can get Mac in the double digit, not Mac, I'm sorry. If you can get Hines in the double digit rounds, uh, you know, 11th, 12th, 13th, even that's, I think could potentially be a really good value. Um, it seems like he probably has that pass catching role locked up in Indianapolis, yeah. and that's obviously a much more valuable role if luck can come back and kind of uh, be the luck we remember. But uh, even without him, I think that role probably has value um, because without luck, they're going to be playing from behind a lot and uh, needing to pass a lot. So yeah, I'm definitely on board with Hines. Yeah, I mean, it, for me, what it really comes down to is. If there is a player that has the upside on that team, I think it's got to be Hines. You're still getting him some in some drafts 30 picks later than you would get Max. So if you want to try to get some portion of that offense and play the variability that Luck hits and is the Andrew Luck of the past, I think Hines is probably the best way to do it, given uh, the only receiver that I'm really excited about naturally would be Hilton. I suppose you could take Chester Rogers way later on, but if we're talking about a pick that's actually going to cost you in a draft, Hines is probably the most prudent one to do it with. Yeah. Do you see Jack Doyle having an impact in this offense, or um, it's kind of crowded now with Ebron in there? I think it is somewhat uh, somewhat crowded. I, I think that Ebron and Doyle both will possess the ability in a given week to finish as a starter at the position, but I think it's going to be hard this season to really bank on either of them on a week-to-week basis. And they're basically going to become touchdown plays like many tight ends. If Luck is playing well and the offense can perform decently enough, then they might have you know some usage week to week playing for that touchdown. But I'm not overly excited about either. Uh, so I'm probably going to be going elsewhere uh, for my tight end production this season. Perhaps if one of them appears on the waiver, I'll take a flyer, you know, in the midpoint of the season, hoping that uh, something will break in their favor. But I'm not really investing heavily in either. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Jack Doyle had uh, probably one of the lowest A dots for um, tight ends last year. I don't have the numbers. Oh, in front it was of me, ridiculous. But, I'm yeah. going to tell you what it was, and we're actually going to wait for this because it, it, it's so low that it's insane. <laughs> so he had, uh, let me see. So he, four, uh, 4.9 air yards per target. Yeah. So that is. Very, very low. And then also just uh, he did manage, though, 4.2 yards after the catch, which was 20th among tight ends. So, yeah, I mean, not a lot of deep shots going his way. Of course, when you're playing with Jacoby Brissett as opposed to Andrew Gluck, that's likely to happen. Right. Yeah, so I'm hopeful, of course, that Hines will take a lot more of those short targets. So uh, I can't can't be betting on Hines and Doyle. So you're out, Doyle. Right. I mean, to put things in perspective, so 92 per, or 92 of um, Doyle's targets, which, let's see, he had uh, 103 targets. 92 of those came from 10 yards or less. 
So, you know, if luck can start getting him more in that 11 to 20 range, which is probably where you're more commonly seeing a higher distribution of tight end targets go, that would open up an opportunity for Hines. Because to me, you know, it shows that they were using him to fill a void that perhaps if the offense can function a little bit differently, you know, you wouldn't prefer to be using him in that range all of the time. Right. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. All right, before we get into No Shit, Shit, No, I want to take a moment to remind you that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all our premium NFL content uh, and Dave's FF Draft Prep tools, and it supports the pod. Uh, you can also support the pod by subscribing to and rating the Rotoviz radio channel on iTunes. Do that, and you will be eligible to win a free $35 entry to a league at the FFPC. Go to iTunes, leave a review with your name in it, and then listen to future episodes to hear if you're the winner. Also, if you're interested in being in an FFPC league with some of the Rotoviz writers and podcasters, email us at rotovizradio at gmail.com, and we'll get that set up. Uh, we also have a $35 entry to an FFPC best ball league to give away this week. Um, we had a number of submissions, but... Nobody was able to come up with all three. Uh, the question was, there have been three tight ends to beat ADP-based expectations each of the last five years. Uh, nobody got all three of them. Uh, I wonder if you have a guess, Dave. Oh, gosh. You know, I actually I struggled with this, even using all of my resources to come up with all three when Hassan mentioned it to me. So I did some quick research, but I, I'm going to be honest, I could not come up with anybody uh, doing like, you know, five to 10 minutes of, of quick research. So I'm really curious as to who they were. Uh, all right. Well, we got uh, one person who got two out of three, right? So um, congratulations to at Matthew P A R M S T R three. He tweeted in his answer. He guessed Delaney Walker, Zach Ertz and Travis Kelsey. And uh, Walker and Ertz are both correct, but Kelsey missed one year. The uh, third name we were looking for was actually, you think you know? No, no, no. I'm just now upset that I did not get Delaney Walker. That actually, it it, it pains me because I've loved Walker and I've been a proponent (laughs) of him for years now. So so I'm disappointed in myself. But let's hear the third. The third is Antonio Gates. Oh! Yep. Oh, wow. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that was was pretty crazy to hear. Um, Or to... uh, find out but uh it makes sense when you think about it the really interesting thing is that Ertz has actually beaten expectations every single year he's been in the league like 2013 was his rookie season so he's done it he's never failed to beat expectations that's amazing wow that yeah that is that is absolutely wild I can't believe that uh especially because when you consider, um, I mean, last season and the season before that, people were, you know, he was a name that people were actually considering. So it's kind of a testament to the production that he's provided that he's been able to beat that. I'm looking um, right now, I think it, last season his positional ADP was seven, which uh, he crushed finishing in points per game rank uh, as third. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's impressive stuff. And I think that Ertz, even this year, probably still has the potential of, of maybe beating it again. I think he could finish uh, some things break his way as the top tight end. How about you? Yeah, yeah, he's uh, the tight end three right now, and, uh, you know, it's a fragile position anyway. We've already seen Gronk uh, miss large parts of the season. Um, Definitely, I think uh, maybe through mm, the beginning of the season, for sure, he was the tight end one last year, so certainly a possibility for him to beat expectations again. Cool. Uh, Yeah, so what was the name of our winner? I might have talked over it, so I want to make sure they get to hear. The name of our winner, I just have his... His Twitter handle at Matthew P 
Armstrong, I'm guessing. A-M-A-R-M-S-T-R-3. Uh, so if that's you, then email rotovizradio at gmail.com, and we'll make sure you get your free $35 FFPC entry. I'll probably tweet at you, too, to make sure you get it. So, yeah, congratulations. Now let's get into no shit shit no. Uh, first item up. Terry McCormick of Titans Insider suggests Derrick Henry will lead the team in carries this season. I'm going to go with a uh, no shit on that. Yes, they bring in Lewis, but I think it's pretty clear that the point of bringing in Lewis is to have a different dimension in that running game. Lewis, he is a really good between-the-tackles runner, but they have Henry for that role. We know that Lewis is going to get his in-the-air game, and it just wouldn't make sense if you're going to have a split between these backs, which I think would be useful for the team, uh, you know, you're not going to have Lewis taking the majority of the rushing attempts. Overall body of work, perhaps Lewis outtouches him, but again, you're going to have a distribution of that in the air and on the ground. So no shit. Henry's going to lead the team in attempts. Yeah. Would you still prefer Henry like in PPR leagues or not? I actually in PPR leagues think that I'm preferring Lewis uh, mm-hmm. cause I feel like with Henry and I go back to this point a lot, uh, you really need the touchdowns to emerge. And perhaps they start getting down the red zone. Lewis takes away some of those looks because they want to have a back that it's not clear if he's going to run or get involved in the passing game there. Uh, And in PPR especially, we know that targets are more valuable than attempts. So we're expecting a somewhat similar distribution in overall work. Uh, Lewis is going to have, the higher involvement in the passing game. So I think that uh, overall I have to give the edge to Lewis. Cardinals coach Steve Wilkes views rookie Chase Edmonds as a potential every down backup. I'm going to go shit no. I mean, 5'9", 205. It's one of those things that's nice to say in theory, but uh, it's another player. You look at the college career, he didn't do enough, or nothing really stands out that makes me say, wow, this guy looks like he could carry that load in the NFL. Being an every down back, a player that teams can rely on takes a very tremendous skill set, especially at that size. There's a reason we only see a handful of players that can do it, and I highly doubt that he is one of those players that can. Malcolm Mitchell is expected to see more snaps in the slot in Julian Edelman's absence. I am going to go here with shit no. I think that there is a void that's naturally created. Granted, it's only a four-game void, but there's other players, particularly Jordan Matthews, that are better or more well-equipped for it. I think he's a phenomenal slot receiver. Plus, Chris Hogan in some seasons has taken uh, nearly a 20% slot share. There's also, you know, if Braxton Berrios sneaks his way in, he could fill that void. I think there's a lot of people on this team that can do it. So maybe he gets a handful of time in there, but I think if you're looking at this overall receiving core, he's probably not the one that's most likely to do it. So that is a uh, shit no for me. There's also a sneaky wide receiver on the bottom of their depth chart, uh, Riley McCarron. Have you heard of him? I have, but I have not spent a whole lot of time looking into him, so if you have any intel on him, I would love to hear it. Uh, well, I just know that the Patriots have kind of been talking him up lately, I think. Um, I mean, he's a small guy, 5'9", like under 190 pounds, but he has, I want to say he ran like a 6.5-something three-cone Uh Oh, wow. Really incredible agility. Um, He's an older, well, I think he was drafted last year, but even when he came out, he was older. He was like a 24-year-old rookie. So, um, Okay. Might be nothing here, but it's just interesting to to hear them kind of talk up this this, uh, no-name guy. 
Right. You know, I also wouldn't mind if they tried to toss Britt into the slot and see what happens. I guess ultimately there's just a lot of options and you never know how the Patriots are going to use their personnel. They're so adept at finding interesting ways to get players involved uh, it, like in ways that play to that player's strengths. So I'm sure whoever that is, if somebody really can take away that slot, uh, you know, an overwhelming percentage of that slot share. Although you have to assume, I think, when Emily gets back that he'll probably replace them. But nonetheless, something to watch out for. For sure. Uh, NFL Network's Ladanian Tomlinson believes free agent Antonio Gates only wants to play for the Chargers. I mean, this is about as easy of a no shit as it gets. The guy played his entire 15-year career with the team, was kind of forced out. Uh, but at this point, I don't think he wants to have to go through the whole process of establishing himself in camp, acclimating into a new scheme. I think it's a situation he's going to be comfortable in. I mean, can you really picture Antonio Gates in any other uniform than a Chargers? So, no, no shit. Julian Edelman's appeal of his four-game suspension was denied by the NFL. Yeah, I think this is another no shit. I mean, when you have a player of his age coming off a significant injury, there's always, you know, he's 32. So I think it's, you know, it's pretty obvious there was something going on here, probably some type of masking agent. At 32, he's trying to get himself to recover, get back in shape. I wasn't particularly surprised by it. Uh, you know, we just talked about the Patriots a little bit. But, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a no shit. I actually, though, it, this is the interesting thing I want to ask you about here. I do think there's something to talk about. Because I really have a hard time determining if I expect a lot out of Edelman this year. You know, this is the Edelman that we saw even in 2016. I think he's a valuable player to have. Do you think, though, at this point in that offense at 32 that Edelman's worth trying to target in drafts? Because I think that he's probably still going to go with a somewhat high ADP. Yeah, I wasn't targeting him even before the suspension, um, partly because of the cost and partly, you know, he's, like you said, an older wide receiver coming off an ACL injury. Uh, There's a lot of uncertainty uh, surrounding his situation and it was just I mean at the time before his suspension there were other guys going around his ADP that I liked more and uh, you know that's still the case I don't even I'm not even sure where he's being drafted at this point but uh, wherever it is it's probably too early for me to want to take him yeah it's hard you know I try to get myself excited about it and think that maybe it could be a steal but I, I think that we have to be leery of falling into that same kind of trap that we did with Wes Welker uh, who was playing that role in the Patriots' offense before Edelman. So I suppose the more I think about it, I'd rather get out on Edelman a year early than be a year late. So he's probably a player that I think we would have to avoid uh, unless he drops so far that you know, you're really not spending anything to get him. But in terms of upside, it might actually be limited, especially because you have to sit with him on the bench for the first four weeks. So maybe you almost hope that nobody – or takes him early, somebody picks him up and then just decides to drop him. And if it's like week five, or well, that probably wouldn't happen. But maybe week three, you see him on the waiver, you add him for two weeks and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, just looking at our MFL 10 ADP app, it looks like over the last uh, about week or so, Edelman and Hogan have an ADP that's about five spots apart. Like Edelman's about 65 and Hogan is 70. So, I mean. Oh, geez. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that's that's a... You can get, uh, oh God, you have to imagine that Hogan is so much more valuable there. I mean, he, even if they were both playing the full 16 game season, I actually think I would probably sleep Hogan in front of Edelman. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in best ball leagues where you have sort of the, the big play upside and the touchdown upside with Hogan. 
Right. Tight ends coach Tim Kelly said the Texans will need a collective effort to replace C.J. Fedorowicz. Yeah, I guess that's a no shit, right? Um, you look at the group of tight ends that they have there, their most experienced tight end is Ryan Griffin, who I think uh, in 2016 saw 70 targets, but that's the most he's had all season. And he only has something like seven touchdowns over the last five seasons. So um, they're going to need somebody to step up. If you look at the rest of their depth chart, uh, there's Steven Anderson, Jordan Aiken, uh, a lot of players that have not done anything. So, Somebody's going to have to step up, and there's definitely a void to fill, and I don't think that any one of those players particularly jumps out as somebody that can step in and become a useful tight end. So it's going to have to be by a committee. Jaguars OC Nathaniel Hackett believes Blake Bortles' progression will allow the passing game, quote, to be a lot more aggressive. (laughs) Uh, Shit, no. I, I guess it could be more aggressive, but I think that this sentence is trying to make it seem optimistic. So there's a lot of flaws in this progression. It's hard to say that there has been much of a progression uh, in the career of Blake Bortles. Uh, So if he's going to be doing anything more aggressive, it's probably going to be aggressively throwing interceptions. I don't think that taking away his two best weapons uh, are the players that he's had a lot of chemistry with, and Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns is going to help him out either. Uh, So even if there was some progression, it would be hard for him to do well. Uh, Still, though, as a fantasy quarterback, he could be okay. But uh, that, you know, if we're trying to frame anything in an NFL context, I'm not feeling very good about it. His conversion percentage on air yards thrown to air yards completed at 44 was one of the worst in the league. Really struggles going down, downfield deep, low percentage overall. Uh, QBR has been dropping. I can't find anything that's signaling much of a progression with Blake Bortles. So this, this is just a complete shit now. Sean Watson won't change his style of play this season. Huh. I'm going to go with shit no. I mean, I think that the coaching staff, it would behoove them to try to change it somewhat. Now, granted, we only saw the six games, so it's hard to really know what his playing style would have been like once defenses start to do some adjustments and, and, um, you know, can anticipate what more to expect from that Houston offense and to recognize that he was a capable quarterback. Um, But, I don't really have any good thoughts on this, so I would I would go with a um, I guess I would have to go with a, with a no shit. I, I don't know. You have any good thoughts on this one? Uh, I mean, I think the sort of implication of the news item is that it's uh, he's not going to stop running less or something. Not going to try to protect yeah. his knee. So, um, I mean, I think that I would believe that. Uh, you know, we kind of. I don't really think that, you know, there's always talk about, for instance, Cam Newton running less and the coaches wanting him to run less to try to protect, you know, his body. I mean, he doesn't actually get hurt that much, but uh, he also (laughs) never runs less. So uh, I don't really see this being a, I mean, I believe that he probably won't change his style. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess I'm probably on board there, too. I think especially at this point in his career, there's probably not a huge, or I think it's probably he'd still have to mature a bit to kind of get fully out of that mode of relying on his athleticism, which has served him so well. So, yeah, you, you've convinced me. No shit. Or no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a no shit. Boy, this game gets confusing. Right. The Patriots could ask tight end Dwayne Allen for a pay cut. Sure. Uh, we'll go with a no shit. I mean, there's so many other high-profile players in this offense. He's not one that they particularly need. And perhaps if you're Dwayne Allen, uh, you want to be in New England playing for a championship, 
And I don't know if you're Dwayne Allen that you're going to have a lot of starting opportunities on many other teams. So, sure, uh, yeah, they'll, they can ask him for a pay cut. I, I don't see any problem with that. So we will go with a shit no. No, that would be no shit, right? Uh, oh, right, no shit. Yes, yes, yes. No, <laughs> see, I'm telling okay. you, I'm tripping myself up. This is like, uh, it's kind of like when people struggle with uh, Jeopardy with answering in the form of a question. So I'm going to have to get myself, yeah. I'm going to have to go on a high note. I'm, I'm going to start getting this right. All right. Uh, Packers president Mark Murphy hopes to have an extension soon with Aaron Rodgers. Okay, yeah, that's a no shit. That's the quintessential example, probably even more than the other one that I said would have been. You have a Hall of Fame passer who many would say is the best in the league. You're going to want to get him locked in as soon as you can, make sure that you have him uh, on your team for as long as possible. So that is definitely a no shit. ESPN's Mike Reese considers Rex Burkhead the favorite for goal line work in New England this season. I'm going to go with a no shit on this as well, which I think if you've followed the team, they've signaled that they really like Burkhead. And though they do have Jeremy Hill, they still have Gillis Lee, who was great in the opening game of the season, but there were some flaws in his game. Um, you still have to imagine that it's Burkhead. Just to put things in perspective of why he is going to be the guy in the red zone, last season, 16 attempts, five touchdowns rushing, six targets, three receptions for touchdowns. So 45% of his fantasy production came from inside the red zone. Um, when he was healthy, there was clearly an emphasis on using him. There's a lot of things he does that the Patriots like to use. He's been successful. Um, and like I said, they've demonstrated in the past that he's a player that they like. So when you put all of that uh, into the equation, it makes sense. So I'm going to go here where they know shit. I expect good things from Burkhead. I didn't like the, uh, the drafting of Michelle, and it's too bad because I think that Burkhead really could have been a fantastic player, uh, both in real life and in fantasy, whereas now I think he's going to be awesome for the Patriots. But from a fantasy perspective, you might not be able to rely on him every week, which, as we all know, is par for the course with Patriots running back. NJ.com's Daryl Slater reports that Thomas Rawls will enter Jets training camp on the roster bubble. Sure, no shit. I mean... They bring in Isaiah Crowell. They still have Bilal Powell, who isn't great, but has you know, done some okay things. They also have Elijah McGuire. Um, you know, there may not be that much for a guy who, outside of one tiny stretch in his career, hasn't done too much to demonstrate that he's a supreme talent. Uh, and if you look at the depth chart, it, it makes sense that he'd be on the, uh, the bubble there. So that's a no shit. Is there anyone in this backfield that you're, uh, really, you're really targeting? You know, I've been waiting season in and season out for Elijah, or excuse me, for Isaiah Crowell. And I think if things were to break right and you get him in the right situation, it could happen. But I don't think I'm on the team that is going to have probably pretty poor quarterback play, um, that he's the type of player I would go for. Uh, we got fooled by Bilal Powell last season. I don't think that there's really anybody I'm excited about at all um, in the backfield. Um, and if we get to the receivers, they're really not – I'm going to have to evaluate that later, but I guess my <laughs> overarching point is in this offense as a whole, there's really not a lot to be excited about. Yeah. You, what do you think? Yeah. Anybody that you even excited to? I mean, maybe Anderson a little bit. Quincy and Noonway you could make a case for, but um, I, I don't know. I don't know what to feel there. Yeah, I like Anderson. I've been taking him quite a bit, and Inunua is just, um, you know, so – cheap he's like uh, it's no problem to add him at like at the end of a best ball draft and uh you know kind of the same with elijah mcguire just 
reports have come out that he's going to be the main pass catching back. So uh, that interests mm-hmm. me at his cost. It's like, you know, he has the upside if he can win that job, I think. And uh, if he doesn't, you don't really lose much. So I'm more than willing right. to take a few shots on him here and there. All right. That, 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 that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Voth of Panthers official website compares the offseason addition of CJ Anderson to the team signing of Steven Davis in 2003. I've got to be honest, I, I in 2003 was not paying enough attention to that signing and how it correlates with this one to, to be able to go either way on that, but I will answer by saying this. I do expect that T.J. Anderson will have a decent level of production and could be a guy that you can throw into a flex spot every once in a while, and I actually don't think that's going to be at the detriment of Christian McCaffrey uh, because McCaffrey is going to be one of those guys, most of his production is going to come through targets, which is fine. There's not anybody um, that is really going to be able to usurp that role from him, and I expect him to be around 100 targets. So I think both of those guys are players that uh, you should be fine having on your team. And though McCaffrey's still going to be drafted high, I'm okay with it because I do think that he's going to have enough opportunity in the passing game to um, return your value on where you're going to have to draft him. I don't know if you have any opinion on the, uh, the Steven Anderson corollary there. Well, yeah, it's kind of a weird report to go back so far uh, that nobody can remember. But in 2003, Stephen Davis's first year with Carolina, he had 318 carries for four, 1,400 yards. So, uh, you know, if if you're taking that literally, that's kind of the production, I guess, he's expecting from C.J. Anderson. I don't know. Oh, okay. That that would okay. That in, in that instance would be a huge shit. No, I don't right. see anything like that for Anderson. Right? I mean, that would be a monster season for Anderson. Yeah, that would be better than he's ever done. I think. Right? Yeah, that yeah, would. Um, in fact, actually, if we take a quick look here, so C.J. Anderson, his highest uh, total in yardage is interestingly enough going back from 2013. His highest yardage actually came last year with 946. Highest touchdowns in his career came in 2014 with five. Uh, So, you know, it's actually interesting as you look at that with Anderson. He's one of those guys who I feel like would have put together a better season than that at some point. It's just been like sporadic production here and there in a couple of big games. Last season, he had 28 in week 17. He had that huge game um, in the second game of the season against the Cowboys. Uh, But, yeah, Anderson, I mean, that – even in a true bell cow role, role, I don't see him getting to 1,400 yards. Yeah. ESPN's Mike Reese expects Jordan Matthews to emerge in some form during Julian Edelman's four-game suspension. I'm going to go with a no shit here. I think that Matthews is designed to be a slot receiver. We've seen in his time with the Eagles he can do it well. I actually think he's a talented player. Uh, you have to write off last season completely for him. But you put him in an offense like New England, you give him a chance. I actually expect that he will perform well. Now, when we say emerge, I think, in my mind, what I'm expecting from emerging is just getting back to the point of being a relevant option for fantasy football. I don't expect him to be a top 25 player or anything like that, but I do think that he will assert himself as a player that the team can use and will have some fantasy value uh, throughout the season. But, you know, I don't think he's going to be a dynamite option. Uh, do you agree with that? Do you think that he is going to be able to uh, be like an actual week-to-week fantasy option? Um, I think it's possible. I think 
at his current ADP, I'm willing to take that risk for sure. Uh, he's someone yep. I've liked since he was a prospect, and uh, you know, uh, a lot of people have kind of soured on him, but I'm still <laughs> a true believer in, in some sense. So yeah, I really want to see him emerge uh, and become fantasy relevant. And I probably agree, top 25 isn't very realistic. Uh, but you know, like we said before, maybe Edelman's not quite the receiver he was, and even when he comes back, he might not. Uh, perform up to expectations. So there's potentially, I guess, some opportunity for Matthews to uh, surprise. Yeah, you know, he's only 26, and sometimes you hear people talking about him. It's almost like he's being viewed as this washed-up guy that's kind of in, like, the twilight of his career already. But, you know, he'll be heading into his fifth year um, playing with perhaps the best quarterback of all time and a potent offense on a team that is going to be well. So, I mean, if you're looking for a situation for him to recover this is a pretty good one so i guess we'll have to see but yeah i, I would say the uh, potential for him to emerge is there according to jordan howard qb mitchell trubisky has more command of the team going into his second year <laughs> i'll go with a no shit here uh you know he was a rookie passer last season came in did well in spots it makes sense the longer he's with the team the more of the command he's going to have uh you know not that you ever want to invest too much in these reports from players um, but sure, uh, no shit. New England Patriots tight end Rob Gronkowski says he feels refreshed and super ready for the upcoming season. Uh, uh, I guess I'll go with the no shit as well when you've been not going to a whole lot of activities and you've just been living the Gronk life, perhaps uh, that's possible. I think it's one of those things you expect a player to say. Whether or not that means that Gronk will be able to weather the whole season is a whole different story, but I'll give him that. Uh, I will give him the no shit there. Uh, I find Gronkowski, though, this season to be particularly interesting, right? We have the whole question every year of to Gronk or not to Gronk, taking him early on in drafts. I've always been against doing so. I still think that I'm there. Does he have the potential to finish as a tight end one? Absolutely. Do I expect him to? No, I don't. Um, but sure, he's going to head into the season probably being a monster. You're just going to have the same challenge of if he's going to play those 16 games, which I would say probably not. I don't know if you have different thoughts there, uh, but to just summarize my outlook on Gronk again, I think he's going to be great when he's available. I don't expect the 16 games, and I'm not taking him in the first two rounds. Yeah, I well, I, maybe I'm a little bit more optimistic than you. I mean, I yep. agree he... There's a chance he might not play 16. That's always a risk with, with him. But I still think I'm comfortable taking him in the second round uh, just for the upside he gives you. Um, yeah, and actually in Dynasty, I just recently traded him away to kind of try to get a little bit younger. I traded him for Evan Ingram and uh, a couple later picks. But um, yeah, what what's your take on his value in Dynasty? Yeah. I think that he has a lot of value. If you are in a absolute win this season mode and uh, you feel like he's the piece that's going to put you over the edge to win, then I think that he's very valuable. But long-term, I, I do really believe that this could be his last season in the league. A lot of reports coming of New England have really make, made it seem that way. Uh, and, I, I have to, I mean, they make a lot of sense given the injury history that he has and beating his body taken and the fact that it looks like he has a lot of opportunity outside of football. 
Um, so I think long-term in Dynasty, I'm kind of lowering it. Um, but for this season, if you're in win-now mode, I think, you know, I, I would put a tremendous price tag on him. If I needed a tight end, I would be willing to do, a, do away with a lot if I thought that he'd push me over to win this season. Let me tell you about our friends at the Fantasy Football Players Championship, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Fantasy draft season is heating up, and the FFPC has a format to suit interest and budget. Whether you like best ball or super flex or classic managed leagues, there are drafts daily with entry fees starting at just $35. Jump into a slow or live draft today. If you like Dynasty, the FFPC has almost 200 active Dynasty leagues with entry fees starting at $77 and going up to $2,500. And here's something incredible. Not a single Dynasty league has folded in eight years. New Dynasty leagues are forming now with startup drafts launching on a regular basis. Don't miss the FFPC experience. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. All right, on to news item number three. NBC Washington reports the Redskins may look to get out of Jordan Reed's contract next offseason. They also reported he is uncertain to be ready for the start of training camp. So, Dave, given Reed's injury history and this somewhat worrisome report, do you expect Reed to be able to return value at his current redraft ADP? Uh, this is, oh gosh, this is another tough one. These tight ends, man, it's hard. Um, I am actually going to have to say that, no, I don't expect him to return value on his current ADP, and that's the ADP that I looked at him before we got on for the show had him right on the cusp of being a starting tight end. And for me, if there's a player that there's health concerns heading into the season, uh, I try to avoid them. I think that lots of times, and there's been some things that I have read in the past, that if a player has injuries that are nagging them during training camp, they have a higher propensity of being injured in season. I would do have to do some testing on that. But um, there's, you know, I think valid concerns to have with Reed. Um, just based upon all of these injuries. And then also the production that we saw back in the 2015 season, a little bit better than we saw in 16 and 17. Granted, you haven't had um, quite the opportunity that he would have due to the injury. So it's kind of hard to tease out where he was limited and where he wasn't. But to make a long story short, I think that the odds are higher that he doesn't return value than he does. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looks like his current ADP right at the end of the eighth round I'm seeing. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, when he's healthy, he's obviously one of the top tight ends, I think, in the league. And uh, playing with Alex Smith at quarterback probably doesn't hurt him that much. I mean, Smith has been, right. you know, known to target tight ends, uh, you know, a lot. Part of that is because he had Travis Kelsey, but I think, you know, having Jordan Reed doesn't really change that much for him he's still got a really talented tight end to throw to if he's healthy so you know there's some upside at his current adp that i probably wanted try to get some of if i if i can without uh paying too much but like you said there are a lot of risks too so it's it's a tricky situation um right yeah i guess it kind of depends on really on what you're looking for because right if i'm taking reed i'm probably not too concerned with what the odds are like you said i'm probably chasing what could be versus trying to get what could be the most accurate outcome or, you know, the, the, um, let me say that differently. So I'd be chasing the upside as opposing, as opposed to, um, 
trying to get a guy that I want to be conservative and I feel like I know where he's likely going to land, which sometimes you want to do that on a team. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's certainly upside for Reed, so it really depends on what you're looking uh, at or what you're looking to get out of that pick. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess I answered a slightly different question than I asked, so it's it's possible, I guess, to expect Reed not to return value but still to want to draft him just for the upside. Right. Uh, do you, what are your thoughts on him in Dynasty? I mean, we talked about Gronk has kind of the same issues. Uh, are you? Do you think of them about the same? Uh, Reed probably is. I mean, Reed is obviously much cheaper in Dynasty, but is he worth buying, or are you trying to get rid of him where you own him? I think if I owned him, I would be holding on to him with the hopes that um, maybe early on you can get a couple of games out of him and, him and then try to move him. If I can't move him right now, I think I'd probably be okay holding on him, holding on to him, um, because unlike Kronk, I, I think that he still has uh, maybe two, three years he could hang around, whereas with Kronk it seems like the retirement is imminent. Um, but I don't know if Reed is one of those guys that I would really pay much to go out and get. Um, I might actually try to sandwich him into a deal with a more high-profile player and get him as an add-on. Um, maybe if I'm shipping away a bigger-name player on one of my teams that I feel like has reached the point where they're uh, you know, going to be on the decline. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of a flip of Gronk. I value Reed less in the short term and maybe value him a little bit more in the long term, but that value has dropped significantly to where it would have been a couple of years ago. Yep. All right, item number four, ESPN.com's Jeremy Fowler expects Juju Smith-Schuster to receive at least 100 targets this season. Uh, so last year, Smith-Schuster had 79 targets uh, in 14 games during the regular season. So Dave, do you think... 100 targets is realistically within range, within reach for uh, Juju this season? So with Juju, you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of a tough one here. I actually am not convinced that he's necessarily going to get to those 100 targets. We have to remember that Antonio Brown is going to get his. Le'Veon Bell is going to see a lot of targets. And if you go back on the team's wide receiver two, the last time that the wide receiver two went over 100 targets with Emmanuel Sanders with 112 in 2013. Since then, we have seen 92 from Martavis Bryant in 2015. Last season, he only had 84. Believe it or not, in 2016, the team's wide receiver, two was Eli Rogers, with 11% of targets, seeing 66. Now, some of these numbers are a little bit warped because the wide receiver, two for the team, did not play a full season, and they missed a couple of games. But um, Smith-Schuster last season was at... 79 through the fantasy season. So uh, if you're doing the numbers out there for him to get to 100, he's going to need to see a pretty substantial increase. And I'm not sure that it can happen. So I would actually set like the high end of Schuster's range, probably somewhere around like 105 to 110 targets. So I'm not convinced that he gets to that 100. And while we're talking about Smith Schuster, I think that we need to mention um, last season, he had one of the highest points per target of any player going back a number of years. He was at 2.43 points per target, which if you do a histogram, sets him so far out to the right that uh, he absolutely has to regress. So there's some issues there. His efficiency is going to take a major drop. Now, in terms of ADP, like we see with many players, he's actually being – he's likely to – it will hold that he's being drafted um, higher – 
at a spot this year that's higher than his implied uh, points by his ADP. So, like, when you look at the efficiency and the fact that he's probably not going to go up enough in targets, and I just wrote about this in a much more eloquent fashion, there's a lot of concerns with the shooter. Do you think that he can get to the 100, and are you uh, seeking him out? Because I, I would like to, and I'd like to be excited about him as a young wide receiver in a great offense, but I actually think I have to save him. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I think he probably can get to 100. I mean, you mentioned Bryant's 84 targets. They're gone now. Uh, I suppose the question is whether James Washington just comes in and takes over all of those. And, I mean, considering right. how good Smith-Schuster was last season, I mean, I, like you said, you can't expect that to uh, really be sticky. That's going to regress. But one thing we have seen is that uh, wide receivers who are you know, really efficient one season, usually the next season they get more opportunity, which, uh, you know, kind of makes sense just right. from a, you know, anecdotal perspective. Coaches see, you know, this guy's really good. Let's try and get him the ball more. So, uh, right. yeah, I actually do think that 100 targets is probably um, realistic. I think I would put the top end of his range a little higher, like maybe closer to 120. But, um yeah, so I am trying to get him. I mean, I'm comfortable drafting him in. He's going around the end of the fourth, so I'm definitely getting him if he slips to the fifth. I'm, or at least I'm definitely considering him there. Um, so yeah, I'm on board <laughs> for sure. Uh, okay. Probably chasing chasing some upside, but that's that's all right. All right. Well, and I need to correct something. So I'm I'm I think I misspoke. So in, in the 13 games that he played, he saw 69 targets, and that would be the 13 games between weeks 1 and 16. Now, you might be um, inclined to say, all right, we need to look at the back half of the season, which I'm just, I'm just curious uh, if we look at this here. So from week 8 on, he would have seen uh, 4.7 targets per game. So that's actually pretty high. So let's just say that's 5. Uh, so for him to get to the 100 targets on that, um, I mean, yeah, it's certainly possible uh, and like you said, maybe we can set his range higher. So I, I guess we'll have to see. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, you, I'm still, I think though, still if forced to do it, I think Blair, I would still take the under. So we have you on the mm-hmm. over. So we'll, we'll get to see at the end of the year who this pans out for. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> well, that'll do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Special thanks to our guest, Dave Cabin, who you can follow at Dave Cabin FF. Please remember to rate and review the Road of His Radio channel on iTunes. I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the Road of His Radio podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com/podcast.